The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that results from listening to this podcast. This is the Scream Kings podcast. I'm Max George. And I'm Nathaniel Darkish. What's that like to podcast deliciously? All right. Well, happy, very belated Thanksgiving, everybody. Oh, <laughs> goodness. What a wonderful life. Uh, if, if it doesn't strike you as immediately obvious why we would be talking about the movie we're talking about today, it is in relation to uh, the proximity to Thanksgiving, though. When you're actually listening to this, it will feel less Thanksgiving-y, or Thanksgiving-y and probably much more Christmassy. Uh, but, you know, life happens. I have a small baby in my house, so sometimes recording isn't going to happen when we intend it to. Uh, so today we're talking about The Witch! We want to thank everyone who's been patient. I know our recording schedule has been kind of whack, but newborn, holidays, Christmas time, pandemic, election... It's been kind of a wild November, and yeah. now early December. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so hope everyone's, I hope everyone's doing well, you're staying safe, you're quarantining as best you can. Um, let's talk about a delightfully spooky movie and talk about witches that eat babies. Because what brings in the holiday spirit other than that? Right. Well, before we jump into the movie, I actually wanted to kick off today's episode with something I have had up my sleeve for a few weeks now, and I'm very excited to unveil it to the world and to you, Max. Um, I wanted to play a game to kind of get things going before we jump into, you know, dark, twisted, accurate period piece horror, and instead maybe jump into the B side of things. The, the the cheap, low budget, maybe terrible kind of horror movies that exist out there. Does that sound good to you? I'm ready for this because everyone knows how I feel about B movies. So why not make a game out of it? Exactly. So a, a little bit of uh, context. We'll kind of go over the the basic premise and rules of this game. This game is called the B Real Game. So it's the letter B dash R E E L. So like a, a, a movie reel game. But it also is a double entendre because um, what I'm going to be doing is reading the description, title, IMDb rating, and a review from IMDb of three B movies. But one of them is totally fictional, the other two are absolutely real. I, I can't take full credit for this idea. I did kind of tweak a game that is occasionally played on the very excellent podcast, My Brother, My Brother, and Me. But when they do this, they do it with Hallmark Christmas movies. So I'll take either or, really. Horror movies uh, or Hallmark Christmas. <laughs> yes, and, and, and there might be a little bit of crossover at some point in the future with, with that kind of idea. Maybe not Hallmark Christmas specific, but... You know, maybe Hallmark thrillers or things like that. I, I have all sorts of ideas up my sleeve for this game. But so each time we play it, we're going to have a theme. And uh, today's theme is Send in the Clowns. All right, so are you ready to hear the descriptions and, and reviews and IMDb ratings and all of that for three different movies that all I've are cast- almost certainly awful beyond comprehension? <laughs> I've cast my runes, I've drawn my tarot, and I'm consulting the Ouija board. Bring it on. All right. So our first movie is uh, from 2018. It is called Crescent Moon Clown. The description. Unexplained things start happening to a family when they move into their new home, but the source of evil appears to emanate from a clown doll found in a box. And uh, the IMDb rating for this movie is 3.3 out of 10. And here is our review. It gives it 3 out of 10. And uh, the review's title is, Hello, 
The most overused line in this movie was, Hello? Every move the girl made in this movie was horribly unrealistic. Not once did it seem to occur to her to call the police. She finds the front door open, says hello, closes the door, and goes on. She finds the fridge open, says hello, closes the door, and goes on. After seeing all of these strange things happen and more, she goes to bed. She sees some strange clown person in the yard, she says hello, some other stuff happens, but never calls the police. A little later, she goes to bed. As the movie progresses, she never seems to lock the outside doors. Ever. Possibly the dumbest victim in a scary movie I've ever seen. I gave this movie three stars because I really enjoy found footage, but this is the second worst found footage I have ever seen. So that was movie number one. Now, movie number two is 2017's Clowntergeist. Oh, no. (laughs) The description. Emma, a college student with a crippling fear of clowns, must come to to face with her worst fear when an evil spirit in the body of a clown is summoned, terrorizing the town she calls home. The overall IMDb rating for this one is... 2.9 out of 10. And our review, uh, this one gives it 3 out of 10 stars. The title of the the review is More Ronald McDonald Than Pennywise. Cashing in on the renewed popularity of killer clowns, Clowntergeist tells the story of a demonic clown who kindly provides you with balloon with the date and time he's going to kill you on. No poltergeist here, just a really dreadful clown, not even the one in the poster, who grunts like an animal and has variable supernatural roles. So that was the second movie. Now the third one. This is a movie from 2019 called Balloon. The description. After a a group of friends hire a party clown as an attempt to cure their friend April of her phobia, the group, including the hired clown, begin to be stalked by a sinister clown-faced demon and his deadly balloon animals. Uh, The IMDb rating for this is 2.8 out of 10. And the review uh, gives it 2 out of 10. Not even worth it for the lols. You watch a movie like this because it promises you some laughs, especially the idea of killer balloon animals. Fails to even get as much as a giggle from me and my friends. Camera work is bad. I've seen amateur found footage movies that were less shaky. Acting is somehow even worse. Somehow the worst kill isn't even one of the balloon animal ones. It was the one involving cookie cutters in the bakery. Save yourself an hour and a half and just watch Killer Clowns from Outer Space, or just stare at the clock or something. Which of those three movies is fake? Can I get the names of each movie one more time? Yes, so there is Crescent Moon Clown, Clowntergeist, and Balloon. Alright, my Dark Lord Lucifer, guide my answer. I'm gonna say Crescent Moon Clown. Oh, man, I am really good, because uh, it was Balloon. Balloon is the fake movie. (laughs) Ah! I thought Balloon was so outrageous, it had to be real. That's what I was going for. That's what I was relying on. And I feel really good about this one, because uh, both you and and my wife, Taylor, uh, both chose Crescent Moon Clown. Uh, Not only is Crescent Moon Clown real, it is apparently in the Bad (sighs) Ben series. Well, I feel like I need to watch it now. I feel a spiritual connection to Crescent Moon Clown. But not Clowntergeist. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. That one also just kind of felt too stupid to not be real. Yeah, I I had to choose that one just from that review that that listed it as more Ronald McDonald than Pennywise. Uh, uh, So good. So good. Very much enjoyed making that game. So we are going to be playing this one many episodes, or in, in many episodes to come, I, I hope you liked it as much as I did. And B-movies are just bananas sometimes. Uh, yeah, I am aware. Alright, well, shifting gears, let's now talk about The Witch, a New England folktale. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> there you are. Boo! Bah, bah, bah. 
curse this family. Yes! And I want to come with guns blazing and say this movie is such a phenomenal piece of art to me. As we were writing the show notes and kind of the pros and the cons, I was reminded at how much this movie spoke to me. It's so dark, it's so gripping, it can be a little boring, but it's so damn good. And to start us off with kind of a really cool fun fact, Nathaniel, if you don't mind. Sure. The movie itself is titled The Vivitch, with two Vs instead of a W. So I mean, the you still pronounce it as a witch. I know, but this is going to help our audience visualize what I'm trying to get at. Mm. So The Witch, a New England folktale. And this is really cool because the title, like I said, is two Vs instead of a W. And it's accurate to the time period of the Salem Witch Trials and before, as the letter of W was not commonly used. And I think this is a great standard for the rest of the movie because this is an incredible period piece that is so authentic to the times, and we'll get into that. So should we kind of briefly give a super condensed overview of what happens in The Witch? Yeah, hit it if you don't mind. Okay, so what we have is a family living out kind of in the middle of nowhere in New England. Basically, they have been shunned from their Puritan community that they were part of, largely because of, of, you know, kind of disagreeing on certain religious points. And so the dad kind of pushed them uh, away from everyone else. So they have been living out in the middle of nowhere, you know, trying to have a farm, trying to, you know, live life and, and be as reasonably happy as they can for a, a period of several years. And very quickly, some bad things start to happen to this family. To kind of clarify, so we have the parents and then, correct me if I'm wrong, five children, right? Four children. They have Thomason, Caleb, and then the two twins. And the baby. Oh my gosh, I forget about the baby because the baby is not in it very often. Yeah, uh, the baby doesn't last super long. So the the first really major thing that happens, you know, we, we get to see their life, see them, you know, struggling out in the wilderness, trying to live life and all of that. But then we have pretty early on this incident where Thomason, who is the oldest daughter, is taking care of the baby and she is like playing peekaboo with it. And, uh, you know, she covers her eyes, peekaboo, covers her eyes again, uncovers them to say peekaboo again, and the baby's just gone. What we are then shown is that a witch has taken the baby and kills it. It does witchy, awful things with it. This kind of triggers uh, a series of events that is real, real bad and real, real creepy. Basically, yeah, from here we have the you know older son, Caleb, right? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm still trying to keep uh-huh. it all straight. Yeah, so yep. Caleb is going out, he's trying to, you know, find the baby in the woods, you know, maybe it was taken by animals, things like that, Um, but he just doesn't come home one day, things are just getting more and more tense with the family, the the, the twins are just getting weirder and weirder, and, and kind of more and more sinister over time, you know, tensions are obviously very reasonably very high with a missing baby, and now a missing son, and all of that, and so they start to kind of be at everyone else's throats. The children, you know, these two little kids, that the twins are just the worst. The utter worst. And they start, you know, trying to accuse Thomason of things. The dad, you know, feels like maybe Thomason did something. I guess, yeah, both, both the parents, you know, feel like maybe Thomason, yeah, was being negligent or being wicked, and that's why the baby's gone. You know, everyone's kind of blaming everyone else for all sorts of awful things. Eventually, the parents feel like these children are in league with the devil, that they are, you know, doing some sort of witchcraft. And so they lock up their three children in a, in a stable. You want to take, take it from here for, for kind of the, the last couple beats of the story? Absolutely. Um, so to kind of wrap things up, things are escalating very quickly. The accusations of who is performing witchcraft kind of starts to bounce all over the parents think it's the twins then they finally accuse thomason officially and ultimately there's some deaths of the twins deaths of the mother and thomason is kind of trapped in this isolated cabin that they've locked her in 
And at that moment, this giant family goat that has kind of been hanging around, whom they call Black Philip, starts to talk to her. And you kind of start to realize that this is the voice of the devil. And maybe this entire time there was some actual witchcraft happening, and he kind of persuades Thomason to join him. And he takes her into the forest where you witness a Black Sabbath and these witches flying around naked. And it kind of culminates in this very horrific scene of maybe all of this paranoia and this speculation was actually based in some fact that there was some supernatural kind of occultism going on. And it's beautiful. Oh, it's so good. And I just get goosebumps thinking about Black Philip. <laughs> well, and, and something I'll point out, and this is actually something I didn't notice on my first couple of watches, is that during that Black Sabbath, you actually see the bodies of all of her siblings laying there by the fire. Exactly, yep. That is a very high-level kind of summary of the movie. This movie, to me, is almost perfect in so many ways, and I would love to kind of dive into what makes The Witch a high-caliber movie, if you're ready for that, Nathaniel. Of course. All right, so for me, first and foremost, like I mentioned, The Witch is honestly one of the best period pieces I think I've ever seen. Same. Um, and to some degree, it's so well done that it's almost hard to enjoy because the language is written in very old English. The idioms that they use, the sayings, the phrases, everything is kind of centered around this very archaic English. And not only that, but another flavor of this Puritan English. So if you aren't super familiar with biblical text and, and the way that you know the Bible speaks, it's incredibly challenging for someone to kind of understand what these people are saying sometimes. It's definitely a movie where uh, I, I benefited from watching it with the subtitles on, because you know, even though I, I do a fairly good job with this kind of thing, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty well read when it comes to you know, maybe older uh, English texts and things like that, even then, it's still a, a real challenge at times to... <laughs> to just follow it, just because, yeah, the way they, they say certain words or things like that just is so unfamiliar to the ear. And I think kind of the three biggest components of the movie that made me just kind of ooze with excitement for it is a lot of the times I think in fantasy and in cinema, we see kind of the times, these olden times, and it's all very romanticized, you know, knights in shining armor and the Salem witch trials, and we, we, we kind of project a very modern filter onto this time period. And this movie does a really good job at showing this family who is living in this radical religious kind of sect of America at the time, and they are essentially shunned and thrown out of their community. And because of that, it shows how isolated they now are. It doesn't pull any punches showing the raw gravity of what that meant to this family. They didn't have indoor plumbing. They didn't have electricity. They didn't have firewood to some regard. They had to go chop their own wood and gather farm goods. And that all sounds very silly, but this movie shows it in a way that makes you say, I never want to live then. I never want to travel back in time and live in this time period because it's terrible. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree that that is one of the, the big things that this does so well. It shows how difficult, how brutal, how dingy and grungy this kind of life was. You know, like, you, you feel like, you know, as you're watching it, that you can smell them, and, and it's not yeah. a good smell. You know, it's, it's a time where they had to work so hard and be so miserable to just have like a, a tiny like like a you know to barely get by and even at the end of the day there's this like hopelessness to their situation because you know like what what are these children going to do when they grow up they're they've been shunned by society can they ever interact with people can they ever have their own families can they ever have anything else i mean obviously none of that ends up going their way anyway but, you know, even if everything went well <laughs> for this family, what does life look like? It's still at the end of the day that they just kind of live and die out in the middle of nowhere with no other meaningful contact other than their family. That 
they honestly don't seem to like that much. Like they, they they're all at each other's throats so much for yeah, such a, a big part of the movie. I think that is one of the major themes of the movie, however, because we're in this kind of raw, terrible time frame. And then another level on top of that is just the religious radicalism of the Puritan beliefs back then. So you have your family unit that are supposed to be your biggest support, and then this religious disconnect starts to weave into the family dynamic, and everyone hates everyone by the end of the movie because no one trusts anyone. And, and along those lines, like you know, we, we already see the, the Puritan approach to religion as being very radical, but like the the father William doesn't think that it's radical enough. Like he feels like it, the the members of the town are not you know going far enough with their beliefs and so that's why they end up getting sent away basically is because he pushes it and pushes it and pushes it and calls everyone heathens that are going to hell but that are already living a very radically religious extreme lifestyle and so there's definitely this resentment there in his family because he had to be even more extreme than anyone else uh, at the time, like he he is real, real intense in his beliefs to the point that yeah he he doesn't hesitate at all to start you know accusing his his family members of witchcraft and consorting with the devil when they're just trying to get by. Well, and to the point where both he and his wife look at their children as devils. I mean, he locks two young children, probably six to eight years old, in a cabin overnight. It's just a poison, and in some regard, it is a possession of a non-dynamic entity. I think you get into this religious radicalism, and people become consumed by it, and it mirrors you know, what we hear about demonic possession. It's just fascinating. And to push it one step further, Nathaniel, is the acting in this movie, primarily Anya Taylor-Joy. Holy cow. Yes, for Woo! sure. Like, I, I feel like, you know, everyone really, really did a tremendous job because, you know, this, this whole family had to deliver. They had to really, you know, study how they're delivering lines and all of that. But her performance as Thomason is the best performance that she's ever done in anything that I've ever seen. And, like, you know, to me, really has set the, the tone for a very promising career. And, like, she's done great work in other stuff. Like, right now I'm watching Queen's Gambit, and, like, she's awesome. But her as Thomason is next level. Like, she should have won an Oscar for this movie. Yeah, and I think the fact that they all were speaking in this old English dialect enhanced that even further. Not only did they have to give excellent performances, but they had to tap into something that is almost a lost language I mean, that's a bold statement, but but you know what I mean? It wasn't just English. They had to essentially learn a new language and do it well. Yeah, yeah. Middle English is very different than modern English. And I also want to give a huge shout out to Kate Dickey, who played Catherine. She was in Game of Thrones. She's a phenomenal actress, too, and I would love to see her in more things because the anger and the rage that she portrayed while maintaining kind of this Puritan mother figure, was terrifying. She has these bulging eyes and kind of this very big mouth <laughs> that when she is staring you down, you just feel it in your soul. Oh, it's so good. And then you have the two twins, Mercy and Jonas, Ellie Granger and Lucas Dawson. You hated them by the end of the movie. Because in some regard, they were the catalyst for all of the witchcraft accusations. And then Harvey Scrimshaw, which is an excellent last name, Harvey. He played Caleb, and the betrayal and the loss of his innocence was just, everyone just was hitting it out of the park. I can't say enough about the acting. Just a fun side note, I, I just noticed this on IMDb that the actress who played the titular witch out in the woods, her name is Bathsheba, so... Yes! <laughs> yes that just makes me happy um, inside let's maybe talk about why this movie is scary nathaniel um i think yes. we've given it praises on why it's an excellent period piece and why the acting has been so wonderful but why is this one of the scarier movies i think is out there and i think in some regard it has some really powerful shock scenes that you're 
not really expecting a movie to do. Yeah, it definitely goes to places that most movies are unwilling to go. I mean, straight up, you know, infant murder is rare to see in movies. And it also kind of does the the scare cycle very, very well. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, you have like dread, which leads to can't remember, which leads to terror, which then leads to horror. Kind of this roller coaster of the horror genre. And I think in some regard, 90% of this movie stays in that dread element. So you are constantly on the edge of your seat, white knuckling, what's going to happen next? And not only that, but being horrified of what is happening now. These parents essentially abusing their children who have done nothing wrong. And then you also have the thematic elements of Caleb, who is a prepubescent boy having his sexuality awakened, and the only woman he he knows that he can kind of develop that sexuality from because they are isolated from other people is his sister and so you have this incestual kind of subplot forming and it's creepy and it's bizarre but it's also tragic because of the isolation and the time period and that is the only it's either that or his mom and it's just so well done yeah i i definitely agree i i feel like you know it, what it does is it it really encapsulates a lot of the real life horror of what it would be like to be living in this situation. The threats of starvation, the isolation, the loneliness, the just you know, the inherent just you know, overwhelming depression of living in this kind of situation is palpable in this. Then, you know, adding the, the components of, of just like you don't know what lives out there in the woods. You don't know if there are wolves, you don't know if there are bears, you don't know, you know, if you're going to be safe, and if all of this hard, you know, labor is going to keep you alive, because, yeah, you never know when there's just not going to be rain or access to good water for a long period of time. And so all of that is, you know, very much real-life horror, and then on top of it, then we start to have this very bizarre supernatural component to it and and i think that's that's what what makes it so effective or so effective to watch when we start to encounter the you know the witchcraft and the things that are supernatural in this film is that it always feels like it is both impossible but it has that kind of that dream logic to it you know the the playing the peekaboo scene is so powerful because like it yeah, it feels like some nightmare that you would have had. You know, everything feels like nightmare logic in how things pan out, and it it's upsetting. It it, it gets under your skin because yeah, it just it, it just taps into very genuine fear and and very genuine yeah and experience. And the, and the baby disappearing, I think, is so powerful because that is such a fear of any parent of having your child with you and enjoying that moment. And then all of a the sudden, they're gone. It's very primal and very dark, dark, dark fear. And so when this movie punches when it comes to horror, it punches damn hard. Um, so not only do we you know, see this baby disappear, a few scenes later, we see the witch taking this baby, killing the baby, grinding the flesh of the baby, and then smearing it all over her body which is rooted in folklore of, you know, a lot of Puritans thought that witches were doing this to infants. And so it's a historical representation of something that's so harrowing that so few movies can do in a good, good way is not the right way, but a, a realistic, horrifying way that makes you remember that humanity has done some terrible things and it's just it, it eats you alive inside and it's it's almost too much for some people i know there are people in your life who hate this movie because of scenes like that yeah for sure um i i feel like this is one of those movies where and, and this is something that, that you know we kind of have listed under our maybe the bad but it's it's not really a bad thing um it, it's this movie is difficult to watch and it's I think, you know, worth at least a one-time watch for any horror fan. And if you if it's not your bag, I totally get it because it is very brutal 
and deals with some really, really dark subject matter. But that said, yeah, it, it's done so well, and it really taps into, like, the actual, you know, folklore and fairy tales that made up so much of our mythology that, that you know, over time has been Disney-fied and, and cleaned up, and, you know, we no longer have these horrifying endings to these stories. You know, we have They All Lived Happily Ever After, but that wasn't what these stories were for a long time. You know, stories about witches and the boy who cried wolf and things like that were cautionary tales, and they were meant to scare you. And so it, it really taps into that, that, that feeling of so much of folklore and fairy tales, because, yeah, it shows us those things that are in the original versions of those stories. Kind of morphing from that, it does add elements of the supernatural into play, but like we've discussed, it's kind of this nightmare fever dream at the same time. You don't know if there really is a witch, or if the slaughter of this baby is a metaphor maybe for something else. And, and then Caleb goes into the forest, and he meets the witch, and ultimately, you know, quote-unquote, becomes bewitched by her and possessed by her, which kills him at the end of the day. And all of this is such... It's so confusing as you're watching this because the movie is portraying a period piece and you're seeing all of these scenes play out, but you're never quite sure if it's an actual witch doing any of this or if it's all just built into the paranoia of the time. And that is another rich flavor to the horror. There are enough components of the film and just like little details that also kind of give you some other options. So, you know, one thing is just, you know, they're in the middle of a very bad drought. And so, like, starvation is part of it. And, you know, yeah, when people are starving to death, a lot of times they start hallucinating. They start seeing things that aren't real. And so that could be a, an explanation for some of the stuff that's happening, as well as um, something that you actually have in your notes. And sorry, so sorry to steal some of your thunder, but, you know, just, yeah, some of, like, the, uh, the fungi that are present that, that are used in drugs that are you know are just kind of uh, sprinkled throughout the film. And I on top of all of this, I think what the the filmmakers do the best is the witch, the title of the movie is not really the focal point of the horror story. Ultimately, it circles back to the her, but really the core of the movie is about this paranoia and not knowing what is reality and what is a nightmare. And that to me is so scary when you're living your life and life sucks so much that sometimes it feels more like a nightmare than it does actually living your life. Yeah. And that's poetic to some regard. I, I agree. And, and to me, actually, you know, when I hear the title of the film after I've watched it, I start to feel like the titular character is not the witch that's out in the woods that we see, you know, murdering babies and murdering Caleb, but rather. Thomason. To me, you know, Thomason becomes a witch at the very end of the film, and it's about her journey to becoming that. But in spite of everything, like, what I, one thing I really love about this film is that, you know, we have literally a baby murdering witch in here, but it doesn't feel like the biggest villain. The biggest yeah. villain seems like it's, you know, the twins, or it feels like the parents. It feels like, you know, kind of everything in Thomason's life that's against her. That just gets pushed to a breaking point. You know, the, the villainous nature of, of the story is really just what life has, has thrown at this poor girl. Exactly. And I think one more fun element to all of this is the addition of Black Philip. One of, to me, the scariest movie monsters out there. Yes. Um... Oh, man. You and goats. Uh, okay, so I hate goats. I think we have said this many times on the podcast, but I have an unrational phobia of goats, which is super ironic because I love the occult, I love Satanism, I love demons, and goats are such a central figure to all of that. Black Philip, though, is done, it's this, like, larger than it should be ebony goat that is just so menacing. And I think the paranoia of the movie and not knowing 
who the witch is, or if Thomason is actually causing all of these terrible things to happen, or maybe it's this demonic family goat that just is being a jackass the entire film and being very belligerent and domineering. They, I, I read that they actually wanted to use Black Phillip more in the movie, but they couldn't because he was so hard to tame as an animal and to control as an animal. And I think that feral nature of this dumb goat just heightened the movie's experience that much further. Plus, yeah, goats are just weird animals. Like, just, I mean, any, any herd animal has those weird eyes that you know, yeah. don't have mm-hmm. a single dot, and th- those are upsetting. I don't know. It, it's, again, it's, it's taking something that is fairly everyday and just emphasizing how unnatural it feels if you actually take a good look at it which is something that this movie does in spades. The goat at the end where we start to hear, you know, Satan's voice radiating from it. And we don't even know if it is Black Phillip per se, because we see this like cowboy boot kind of walk into the, the barn or shack or whatever you want to call it, where Thomason is. Well, well it's, it's Black Phillip's hooves and then they like morph into the feet. Ugh, it's so... I don't know, to me, every time I hear... Wouldst thou like to live deliciously? Even to this day, it just makes me shudder. Because I think, you know, when we, we talk about Satan and we talk about demons, and Hollywood loves to, to kind of blow them up and make them so spectacular. And this movie, being so true to the period, really made what I think is so like terrifying about Satan slash demons is that the word that comes to mind is they're sinister. They wait in the shadows, they pull their puppet strings, and then when they do talk, it's not with a booming trumpet. It's in that quiet whisper, promising things that maybe you haven't had up to this point. And it's, I don't know if that's a cultural thing for us where, you know, I was raised in the LDS church, but that aspect of the devil is terrifying to me. The dark, tempting, kind of seductive nature of of the demonic and and i feel like too many movies don't actually present us with that it's just too much like i'm going to frighten you and do weird things and like i really like seeing the devil portrayed or it's the cloven go ahead i was just gonna say it's the cloven hooves and the horns and the fiery eyes you know you you have movies like you know drag me to hell which granted is a very kind of tongue-in-cheek demonic movie and then you have movies like hereditary which we love hereditary and the witch portray demonology in a much darker way and a much purer way i think than 90 percent of the movies out there what i think is also so effective is that like the things that he is offering her to us as a modern audience seems so silly you know what's that like butter like butter really but don't don't spoil it i have facts about that i'm not gonna spoil it but but you know i'm just saying like (laughs) us as a modern audience you know that feels so trivial but like you know these are the basic comforts of life that like she has been denied you know not only does she not have butter she doesn't even have like food on her table and so you know she's not even just being offered like a hearty meal she's being offered butter she's being offered an opportunity to be a person independent from her family now you know that's because her family's all dead now but still she can be a person again she isn't defined by the decision that her dad made and that brings me to what is probably going to be a controversy opinion that i have To some regard, this movie, I think, is all about feminism Mm -hmm. and the empowerment of Thomason and kind of the breaking away from mainstream Christian traditionalism and embracing who you are. And so I kind of want to put out there that I think Black Phillip was really a protagonist in this film. The devil, the witch, Black Phillip were helping... Thomason kind of find and embrace who she was outside of this family structure. You know, I think a lot of the themes in the movie, especially coming from the father and the mother, they were so worried about the salvation of their children. Being a part of this 
occultism of this witch has damned them to hell. And damnation, if we look at the, you know, the definition means a stopping of progression. And really, I think the religious sphere that these parents were living in and kind of forcing their children to participate in was the real damnation. And Black Philip was the one who provided salvation for Thomason to be a strong, independent woman. And so I am a champion of Black Philip and a champion of, you know, breaking free from those traditional chains that sometimes hold us back from being who we are. So what I like about this is it, it isn't as cut and dried as that, though. Like, no, no. I, uh, yeah, I fully agree be, with that. Continue, yeah, please. <laughs> yeah, well, it, 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 because, you know, there is so much that is morally ambiguous because, like, the parents had good intentions but bad methods. And the, the witch and Black Phillip, presumably wicked intentions, but they have good methods. You know, they're, they're much more gentle and soft and kind in a lot of ways to Thomason than her her parents ever were it it's it's the the moral ambiguity makes everything hard to come away with a, a clear message and i like that because you know it, it really gives us a lot to mull over here you know is the witch evil well yes the witch out in the woods is evil because the witch murdered a bunch of people murdered a baby like yeah that is without a doubt, some of the most evil stuff you can do. Is that the end of the conversation about her? You know, is there more to it than just, yeah, she is pure evil? I think so. Well, and to interrupt real quick, you, you talk about evil, and I would counter that with, she may have been killing the children in a very grotesque way, but didn't the parents of Thomason, in some regard, kill their son and kill the twins? Yeah. They may not be bathing in the baby's blood, but they are as equally responsible for the murder of children. I, I agree. I agree. I, I feel like them, you know, their decisions leading them out to this life of total isolation is essentially killing their children as well. All of their children. And so, yeah, they're also not really any better. To me, everyone here is varying levels of terrible for the most part, except these children. And these children are, you know, either mimicking the, the things that they're seeing around them, or they're, you know, just trying to make sense of this very confusing world where they haven't been given any autonomy, any ability to make any decisions for themselves. And I, I feel like, you know, it's, you know they're, they're the only innocents in all of this, and all of the adults, the witch and their parents, are awful. In a lot of ways, because, you know, no matter what their intentions are, they are destroying these children in one way or another. Yeah, to me, like, that is, you know, often, you know, how I would perceive evil. But, you know, it, it, so then the question is, okay, so, you know, how can I perceive the actions of these children? Uh, like, you know, like, like we brought up with those twins, like, they're easy to hate. They are, like, weird annoying frustrating children but they're they're little kids like they're super little just because i want to you know kick them doesn't mean that i you know think that they're evil i i like how morally complex all of this story is you know every character is not just black and white good and evil a lot of them are victims of their circumstances and if they're not victims of their circumstances maybe they at least have good intentions in spite of the bad things that they've done. And I, and I think, again, that harkens to the beauty of this movie, is it shows that humanity is not black and white. Yes. And it, it, it shows you that a religious person can be as evil as a, a Satanist or a heathen, that the, the spectrum of humanity is so much more complicated than we, we try and label it to be. Um, yes. And that is poetic on so many levels. And really, I think one of the true messages of this film is, you know, you see that, that hag, that witch, and we automatically assume she's a lesser person. By assuming that, we are probably, you know, becoming a lesser person ourselves. And it, it's just so edifying and such 
a fun genre. This is a horror movie, and it's teaching us that very valuable lesson. And that's the beauty of horror, I think. I love that horror can really give us this kind of morally ambiguous sort of circumstance and make us ask questions and, and really question our own perception of morality. Should we talk about a few items that maybe we didn't love? And that's, that's hard to say for me because I really enjoy this movie. But as we mentioned, I think that one scene with the death of the baby is very harrowing for a lot of people. Yeah. So while it might not be much of a critique, it's more of a warning that if that is triggering to you, maybe steer clear a bit of this movie. However, I, I believe there are, I was just going to say, I believe there are different cuts of this movie where that scene is removed, correct, Nathaniel? Yes. So I had the really unusual experience of the first time I watched this movie, it's uh, earmarked as being a specific cut of the film or whatever. But yeah, a lot of the components with this witch out in the woods were not present in the film. You know, there there was like a brief flash of this witch out in the woods, you know, kind of implying that she had the baby. But there wasn't a scene of baby murder and blood smearing. And and I think also with uh, Caleb out, you know, when he sees the, the more seductive version of the witch, you know, blurring him in, it was kind of just that like, I, if I remember right, how it was cut is that you know he just simply sees like a, a female form and starts to like approach it, and then it kind of cuts away. It, it had a lot more ambiguity of what is actually happening, and so that one, I I, I wish I knew you know what version of, of the film that is. I assume it was probably a cut for like a, a specific like country audience or something like that because I'm not really seeing this film sold as you know, the normal cut, the director's cut, that kind of thing. So I wish I could really identify it, but I actually really liked watching the film with that level of kind of ambiguity of what's happening, because to me, it, it definitely threw into question a lot of the other supernatural elements. You know, when things were getting really tense with the family, I didn't know for sure that there was a witch out in the woods doing things. It kind of, you know, left me guessing a little bit more. And so, you know, that revelation at the end hit real hard when Black Phillip, you know, transforms. So I think that version of the film may be more palatable to some viewers. Uh, I'm going to see if I can find out a little bit more about this uh, alternate cut that I watched the first time I watched it. But yeah, that, that was uh, what I was expecting when then I then subsequently showed it to my wife and some friends. And uh, they were not happy about the baby murder. And I was like, uh, this was not in the version I watched. So, um, yeah. So that was kind of interesting uh, to see that pan out. They were real, real mad at me, especially because uh, when I showed it to them, they had both uh, just had babies recently. So they were like, uh, what the crap? Why did you show us this? And that's, that's kind of funny. Not funny. It's interesting to me because I have seen... A lot of other movies out there that are much grittier than what we see in The Witch. There's a movie on Shudder called Bezel Booth, and within the first like 10 minutes, there uh, a mass murderer comes into a NICU and just starts killing babies. I was shocked at that scene. Or even movies like Carrie, where you have such an emotionally abusive mother just tormenting her child. And then you have incredibly horrible movies like a Serbian film, which I haven't seen but it's purported to have an infant rape scene, which I just do not care for. Yeah, well, I mean, Serbian film, really, honestly, I don't think is even, like, worth discussing. It's It was a film that was made just to try to see how many awful, horrible taboos it could shove into one movie and see if that would sell. So, you know, like, to me, that's not even, like, filmmaking or art. It's just exploitation because, just for the sake of exploitation. But and I guess I'm curious as to I was curious to know why why the scenes in The Witch are so feared when there are much more brutal movies out there to me. And, and maybe it's my, you know, disassociation with the horror because I watch so many. <laughs> and, and maybe we don't have an answer for that, and that's okay. Well, I, I I feel like I might have have a little bit of an answer. So to me, we we see more uh everyday child abuse kind of throughout a lot of popular media. So yeah, when we're seeing stuff in like Carrie, like it yes, it is appalling, but like 
we've seen it in our TV shows. We've seen that kind of abuse, or at least something comparable to it, in things that aren't just straight-up horror. And so it's a little bit more palatable. Like, it still makes us cringe. It still is, you know, effective. We're not going to be as scarred by that. But then, like, the level of, of violence against babies and, and bezel booth. Yeah, to me, like, that is going to be a, a horror movie where, you know, only a handful of, of people are going to watch it. You know, that that's a movie for specific kind of more hardcore horror fans. So, I mean, while, while The Witch was kind of more publicly watched and consumed, um, you know, it, it was a, a huge hit at Sundance. It was a, a big thing. And so, you know, I would say just more people who watch some horror movies but not all horror movies are going to watch The Witch over, you know, something that has much more intense uh, upsetting violence. And so yeah, for I think I think for a big part of the people who watch The Witch, it is the most upsetting thing that they've seen in a movie. And I think that's a very fair point. You know, it it was a a very well marketed and well produced movie or mass produced movie is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, and and you know it has great reviews. It, you know it it was a big, it was a big movie when it came out, and and you know I think that that's not that it, it got it into the hands of a lot more people than would otherwise have watched this movie, and yeah, I think it was probably really really upsetting. I mean, it, it was upsetting to me, and I, I am a hardcore horror fan. I still think it's worth watching. I think it's a phenomenal movie, but yeah, that was. Uh, it, I, I was very surprised when I watched the movie for the second time, and suddenly that scene was there. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. I was like, "Oh, this is uh, this is not the cut I watched." I think a few other things that people might um, struggle with this movie would be: it is a very slow burn as it kind of gets through the entire length of the movie. Yeah, and and I think also just the the last thing, and this is kind of something I I too. You know, is really like my only big critique of the film is that like I wanted more of the of this witch out in the woods. I wanted more witchcraft. It, it really is a bit stingy with what it gives you. And with a movie called The Witch, you expect you know it to be real, real full of lots of witchy things. And so yeah, you know, like things that it gives you are amazing and super well done and super you know accurate to a lot of the folklore and things like that. But I think people were hoping for a, a serious, intense witch movie that have witches in it as much as, say, I don't know, Hocus Pocus. But, you know, not, not a garbage <laughs> movie. Oh, shut it. I, I think it's time to rate this baby. Pun yes. intended. Ugh. For me, as far as screams go, I'm going to give it an 8. The horror of this movie is very raw. It's very well done. But... I, it's more about the horrors of humanity than it is anything else. I gave it an 8. I also gave it an 8. Yeah, the, the scares that it gave me were real, real good. It's just, you know, may, maybe could have given me one or two more. Uh, that would have taken it a little bit higher. Crowns-wise, I gave this movie a 9. It is just about perfect in, in so many ways. It is really impressive. Yeah, I gave it a 9 as well, and I almost gave it a 10. But I feel like if I didn't give Hereditary a 10, I can't give The Witch a 10. <laughs> I, think, um, I think we retconned ourselves not giving Hereditary a 10. and said give uh, it a 10. I think we have, but I still... The first time I watched this movie, I was blown away. But the old English was just so challenging, I had to rewatch it a few days later. And I think that's what kept me from giving it a 10. Well, now that we have shared our... Thoughts on the film? Do you want to fill us in on some fun facts, both about the, the movie and it kind of about uh, witchcraft and the occult in general? Yes, I haven't done one of my occult corners in a while. I was very excited um, because, of course, this movie is rooted in you know deep American Salem witch fanaticism, and a lot of the scenes and a lot of the Easter eggs actually in this film were super fun for an occult freak like me. So I have just a few kind of spooky facts about the movie. Like you mentioned, there are several scenes where we see corn that actually has ergot fungus growing, which is a very potent hallucinatory drug, which historians use as a very 
broad explanation for very early religious sightings in America, especially the witch trials, Puritan movement, kind of the whole burned over district. Later on, Ergot has has been kind of the culprit, so they say. This movie, though, is actually set 62 years before the traditional Salem witch trials. There was a huge witch scare when the Puritans first came to America, and that's where this is set. So it has actually no relation to what we see in the Salem Witch Trials, which I thought was pretty cool. Another fun thing is you often see a hare or a rabbit throughout the movie, which, according to American witch lore, is a very common familiar of witches and is often the culprit of spoiling a family's food or milk or spoiling the food or milk of the target of the witch. Here's this awesome fact about butter that I found. When Black Philip is asking Thomason about wouldst thou like to taste butter? This is actually a reference to the church at the time outlawing the use of butter because it was considered a worse sin than lying or blasphemy. So Black Philip offering this butter is essentially saying, like, you've already lied and you already have blasphemed. Why not go further? And I, I just loved that <laughs> so much. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, so, so I guess that would be, you know, the, the sin of gluttony. Exactly. And then a really interesting part that when I first watched this movie, I was a bit confused is when the parents are essentially demanding that the, these young twins recite the Lord's Prayer as an act of faith to prove to them that they're not controlled by the witch. This was a very common tactic used back in the day to see if someone was possessed by the devil, because the rumor was if you could not recite the Lord's Prayer, you were possessed by Satan. And so expecting, you know, six, seven-year-olds to recite scripture verses, no matter how common they were at the time, is just a large task. You know, I have a five-year-old and she can barely sing songs sometimes, you know, let alone cite our father who dwelt in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so that's why they escalated things so quickly is when they saw that their children could not recite the Lord's Prayer they assumed they were possessed. What I wanted to kind of move into next was at the end of the movie, you, or you hear Black Philip talking about, you know, signing the book of the devil. There, this is very common in satanic lore, especially in witches' lore. You see it in The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix. You see it quite frequently used when it comes to witchcraft. And this comes from a twisting of a Puritan tradition of making a covenant to the Lord by signing your local parish's membership book. So at the time, it was kind of the antithesis of this, that if you're signing the book of the devil, you've essentially made a covenant with him to join the demonic parish of Lucifer. And there's historical evidence of this lore in the story of Tituba in the Salem Witch Trials, that she was brought to trial because someone saw her name in someone else's parish book, which was... A big no-no at the time. And kind of the final thing I wanted to hit was just kind of a list of Puritan methods of telling if a woman was a witch or not. Are you ready for this? There's a few of them, so I'm just going to kind of run down the list here. You were a witch or considered viable to be a witch if you were female, if you were too poor, if you were too rich, if you had one or more female friends or partners. If you had a large argument with those female friends, you, as a woman, had a disagreement with anybody. Especially you are. Exactly. You are very, very old. Or you are very, very young. There's no winning. <laughs> um, you are a healer or a practitioner of medicine. Practitioner of medicine. You are married and unable to conceive. So you had zero kids or maybe one or two kids. Your neighbors might have trouble conceiving, therefore, that might make you a witch. You are stubborn, strange, quirky, or have a weird personality. You may have a birthmark. You might be a witch. If you had sex out of wedlock, you might be a witch. Any sort of divination magic prior to being married, which I thought was interesting. And then any sin, any sin, stated in the Bible, you have covenanted with the devil. It's just wild. It's crazy. There's no winning. These poor women. Yeah, well, and, and I think kind of what this ultimately comes down to is 
this is a very uh, effective way to eliminate anyone who is going against the grain. It was a manipulation tactic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, what, what this really boils down to isn't necessarily a genuine belief in witches, but rather uh, a way to eliminate anyone who is an undesirable in town. Anyone who has any differences of opinion with someone in authority, you, you want to get rid of them. And, you know, at the very least, you know, cast uh, enough doubt on them that they're not taken seriously. You know, it, it, it's, it's the same kind of stuff that, that we see with, you know, accusations of women being hysterical in the 1800s. Whenever someone goes against some sort of societal norm, and usually these societal norms are very much, you know, set to keep the people who are in power in power, then ultimately, yeah, we, we have people getting accused of things. These same things happen now. You know, we, we, we see the term, yeah, the, the phrase... Uh, witch hunt thrown out very easily these days a lot of times. But at the end of the day, like, it, it does kind of, you know, it, it still is a thing. You know, we, we still have people accused of some sort of prejudice or bias or some sort of wrongness to them if they don't conform with uh, a local belief system or, uh, you know, some sort of cultural value or whatever. You know, if you don't conform to what people want you to fit in, to society as then yeah there's there is going to be people who are going to come after you yeah I, I i feel like this is is very telling of how women were being i mean you know and, and some men as well you know it wasn't just women who were being accused of witchcraft though historically uh women were much more likely to be but yeah it, it really just kind of at the end of the day is here are things that are baked into our society and our culture to ensure that anyone who has a difference of ideology, opinion, or if they're even if their personality just doesn't quite mesh with how we want to run things, we have an easy out. And again, I think at the end of the day, that's another theme of this movie and why it is just honestly a, a wonderful piece of cinema. Go see this movie if you haven't. Well, um, how are you seeing Spooky these days, Max? Oh my goodness. I have seen a movie that may be the best movie of 2020 that I've seen so far. It is on Netflix. It's called His House. It's a tale of some South African refugees staying in England, and it brings in a lot of African mythology and African demonology that is so well done, and the story is so poignant. And there's a scene in it where I physically reacted a little bit. I haven't been scared like that in a movie all year, I think. And I just can't keep singing praises about this movie. If you haven't seen it and you have a Netflix subscription, take some time. Watch this film. So good. I, I haven't watched it yet, but it is at the top of my list. You have big news, Nathaniel. Cut the crap. Tell everybody. Well, I, I've already talked about my book, book that I... Uh have been published in uh, having come out a little bit last time, but you know now there are actual like physical copies that, that can be purchased, mm -hmm. and I actually finally got my hands on the physical copies, and so it is a, kind of a trip to hold a book uh, in my hands that I have a story published in. You know, It's like, hey, this is my book. I can wave it around, and uh, it feels real good. It feels real good. Um, oh, congrats. Another way I'm saying spooky, other than you know waving my book at everyone who will uh, listen to me about it, uh, which is basically all of my students are a captive audience at school, <laughs> um, <laughs> is I recently played uh, the first part of a largely text-based adventure game uh, that, that uh, came out a few years ago called Stories Untold. I I want to I'm pretty sure it's actually available for like most modern consoles and stuff like that. Though I personally recommend playing it on PC or, you know, I guess whatever computer you're using, you can usually play most stuff on most things these days. But yeah, play it on a computer where you have a keyboard because, like I said, it's mostly text-based. It, it's definitely like a, a tribute to a lot of older text-based adventures, but how it's presented is that, like, the, the screen, you know, what you're looking at 
is it has like an old computer, but then also like other things on the desk and like, you know, there's like, you're, you're clearly in a room. And so when you're typing, you know, most of the stuff, your interactions in the game are going to be just, you know, whatever you type into the computer. But the other elements are kind of partially how the story is told. Like the, the things that are happening in the text-based adventure start to bleed into other things that are going on on the screen in very cool ways. Like it, it's very simple in concept, but very effective in execution. And I, I, I don't know, it genuinely creeped me out a few times. And, you know, that doesn't always happen when I'm playing horror video games. And so that was just a lot of fun. And it's also like super cheap. It's like 10 bucks if you don't get it on sale. So, yeah, just a, a fun game to, you know, maybe check out for, for some of our listeners. Anything else that we need to cover today? I think the only thing we need to do is stay spooky, Nathaniel. Yeah, stay spooky. Need even more Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Scream Kings Pod. You could also email us at ScreamKingsPodcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You can also support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash Scream Kings. Stay spooky.